Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today I speak with Lisa Abramson. She's an executive coach, a mindfulness teacher, a best-selling author, and mom of two girls. She's also a survivor of postpartum psychosis, a rare and severe maternal health condition. And today's conversation is about postpartum psychosis. She opens up with a very deep and honest conversation. Lisa shares her story and her path to recovery. And it's really moving and, and funny at times. She has, she has some great humor around this very serious conversation. So I feel it's an important conversation to have to take the stigma out of mental health. And people often feel embarrassed. And I don't think so. I think we need to talk about what's going on, not always try to have a happy, smiling face. So I'm so honored and grateful that Lisa spoke with me today and and shared. Before we get to that conversation, just a few little things I want to talk about. We are now a month into our new space for Prenatal Yoga Center on the Upper West Side, and we're settling in, and it's just so wonderful. Talk about gratitude. I am so grateful for this new opportunity to have Prenatal Yoga Center in a new home and continue to grow. And now it's not just the yoga studio, but we've got some amazing body workers there. So it's really feeling like we're offering a full center for pregnancy and postpartum and for the support team. So I just wanted to say just how grateful I am to be able to be at the helm of this and to watch this community continue to grow and support one another. So by the time this comes out, we will have finished our New York teacher training, which is crazy. And then starting our Charlotte, North Carolina very soon. And then Washington, D.C. still has a few spots. Back to New York, which are already starting to fill up. And then we just got our first application for Richmond, Virginia. I can't believe that's not until I think April or May. And we're filling, we're starting to fill that. So that's super exciting. 
What else? I'm releasing Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi again. That is an online course for yoga teachers that may not have the background to teach the pregnant student. A lot of 200-hour yoga trainings don't really cover that much, and it leaves the pregnant person maybe not knowing what to do and the teacher wanting to support the pregnant person but may not having the skills. So that's where Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi comes in. And then the last thing is if you are enjoying this podcast, which I hope you are, please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. It helps people find us. It helps our audience grow and the support continue to grow. And I, is that it? Oh yeah. And please subscribe to the newsletter. Oh, there's so many things in my brain I'm trying to keep track of. <laughs> all right. So I think I hit all the points. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Lisa. Every year for my kid's birthday, my mom makes them a photo album of the pictures I sent her throughout the year. And it's fantastic and really a win-win for everyone because I am particularly horrible about executing and organizing projects like this. Now, even though my mom's the one doing the work of making the album, I still have to get her the pictures. And as a busy working mom, sometimes I find that task overwhelming. But this year, I think things are going to be different because I found a free photo sharing app. It's called Family Album. With Family Album, it has been so easy to share photos. I decide who I want my photos shared with, and every time I upload a new picture, my invited guests get a notification that new memories have been added. No more texting pictures, no more trying to shove as many pictures into one email. It has become so streamlined. Organization's also incredibly easy with Family Album since it sorts the pictures by the month taken and tells me how old my kids are in each picture. So I'm trying to get my mom pictures for the album. I can see, all right, I've got some in November, I've got some in December, I've got some in January. Organization's so much easier. I actually wish I had this app when I was pregnant so I could have watched my pregnancy evolve and seen how my belly grew instead of what I have is just some random pictures and actually not knowing where in my pregnancy I was. My kids also love Family Album because of the one-second movie highlights. Every three months, a short video collage is created using the best photos and video clips I have shared. They love seeing themselves in these movies, and I love seeing how much they've changed in just three months. And Family Album also offers free, unlimited storage. I kid you not when I say I have over 5,000 pictures taking up storage on my phone and computer. By saving them on the Family Album app, I have freed up so much space on my devices, which has been a huge help. And did I mention all these great features and convenient photo sharing opportunities is completely free free. Family Album, you can find it through your favorite app store or search Family Album on Google. And remember, Family Album is all one word. So hurry up and go get this free app. Start sharing your memories with the people that you love. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Lisa. How are you today? Great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's so great to have you. I, I did a lot of research on you. Thank you for posting. How do, was it through Hey Mama? Is that how I heard about you? Is that how we connected? I think so. Yeah, it's a great group. So then after 
seeing your initial reach out, I I kind of scoured everything. I'm like, well, who is this person? So I read your piece in the New York Times. I watched your TED Talk. I really went into town and read as much as I could. You have quite a story. Thanks for sharing. Of course. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> so I guess let's get started with tell tell me a bit in our community about yourself and, and the story you have to tell. Yeah, absolutely. So I am... 36 years old. I have two beautiful girls, five and two. I also happen to be a mindfulness teacher and executive coach based out in Silicon Valley. And I help um, overachieving type A women like myself um, kind of ease um, how to find a new balance and ease often after having their children or in pivotal pivotal moments in their careers. And what was interesting for me is I started this business uh, before I had kids and I always knew I wanted to be a mom and I always thought I would do, you know, an amazing, perfect job at it. Just like <laughs> being a little bit facetious, but you know, I thought, Oh, I like, I can do this. It's going to be no big deal. I'm going to, you know, I went to my prenatal yoga classes. I even did a mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting class. I thought, you know, I'm going to just do this all natural, and I'm going to breastfeeding is going to be easy, and I'm going to bond instantly with my daughter, and I'm just going to, um, you know, I was made for this, and I had this feeling. I so su- I supported myself. I did the research, and I was ready and. What happened shortly after the birth of my daughter was, you know, and even in my pregnancy, things started going not totally as expected. And, you know, the first thing for me was I had gestational diabetes in my pregnancy. And, you know, as you could hear from my story, like this felt like I'd done something wrong or, and I felt uncomfortable with this diagnosis. I was like, oh, maybe I didn't do enough yoga. I didn't do enough walking and exercise, or maybe I was eating unhealthily. When the reality was and is with gestational diabetes is, you know, your body is not responding um, to insulin the way that it has. And, you know, your pregnancy affects people's bodies in different ways. And this is what happened to me. But when I look back on that, it was sort of the first fissure of a moment where I felt like, oh, I really wanted to do this right. And I'm just not doing it right. And it was hard for me. Did, can I jump um, yeah. in and ask? Um, yeah. Sorry, I hope you don't mind me being conversational about it. But did your partner notice it? I'm always curious in hindsight, were there things like, oh, okay, there's a flag and we and we missed. And again, not blaming, yeah. more just like, oh, wow, I could have, you know, just for other people to notice yeah. as well, just like as they're hearing their story, your story, relating it to their own to maybe see things before it erupts. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, um, no, I don't think there were any outward signs. And I think I kept, I don't even know if I really understood my disappointment or kind of sense of failure, feel that feeling mm-hmm. while it was happening. Got but it. I do feel like anytime, um, you know, my biggest takeaway, I think from my TEDx talk is while you're pregnant, it's a great time to find a therapist, even if you've never had one, because you're about to go through, I think, the most major life transition you've ever experienced besides being born yourself. <laughs> and so it's a good idea to have support in place, even if you don't have 
um, a challenging experience with a maternal mental health disorder, it's still great to get support. You're just, you're going to be sleep deprived. There's going to be some new stresses and there's a lot of change. And when there's a lot of change, more support is better. So I wish I had kind of seen that as like, wow, this is going to be a big deal. You've been an independent career woman climbing the corporate ladder, starting your own business. And you're just, you're entering this new phase where those gold stars and those achievements, they just look so different. Yeah. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm going to ask you to keep going because I know your story, and it's really interesting. So Yeah, um, and yeah, basically, you know, within a few weeks of having my daughter, um, there was kind of a cascade of things. I had trouble breastfeeding. Um, my birth was long and exhausting. Um, but you know, medically nothing unusual about it, but for me, it just, it, it took a lot of energy. It felt very much, um, I I just felt like deep pain trying to, I did 13 or 14 hours of, um, laboring before I tapped out and had the epidural and gave birth. And for me, again, that was sort of an intervention that felt like a failure, even though I wish, you know, it makes me sad to even say that now. So I'm like, it wasn't, what are you talking about? But that was how it felt uh, before in that moment was, you know, it wasn't the way that I wanted. And I was, I was disappointed about that. Um, And then I had trouble breastfeeding and my daughter was losing weight. And, and then I just really couldn't sleep even when, you know, grandparents were around and we had a support system in place where I was supposed to rest, I would lay down and I felt like I had been really plugged into an electric socket. And I was just really jittery, really energized. And then I kind of had this, you know, crack in the middle of the night where I thought, um, I was just in this state of sort of an enlightened state of bliss and thought, you know, everything was just perfect. And I was, you know, Oh, I can do this. And I don't need to sleep. My old self needed to sleep, but I don't need to sleep. I'm not even tired. Like I feel great. And, you know, everyone's telling me to rest. Like, I don't need to rest. What are they talking about? Like, everything is just beautiful and perfect and expansive. And I was really in this, uh, altered state. Um, and then after about three days of not sleeping that, came crashing down, um, as one might expect. And I started to get more and more confused and then more and more terrified because I started having some, um, hallucinations and terrifying thoughts of, um, I had this scenario now, even looking back, it seems hard to explain, but I thought the police were coming to get me and there was this crime and we had a night nanny that was helping us. And I thought she had hurt my daughter, but then she didn't really, but then she was going to get, there was just this weird, very strange, but very, very real experience happening for me where I felt very scared, um, and was hearing things, seeing things so much so that I, one morning, uh, my daughter was one month old and, you know, I looked to my husband and 
my mom over breakfast and I said, um, you know, should I go jump off the Golden Gate Bridge? Is that going to make this better? Like, will that fix it? And that, you know, that was a genuine question at that time because I felt so much despair. And so, you know, who was I if I wasn't of right mind? And I knew what I had was something called postpartum psychosis, but I had never heard of that. I just thought I had lost my mind and I was never going to be the, you know, Lisa that I, I knew. And over the 31 years before becoming a mom, I had learned to, you know, love and appreciate. And I thought she was gone in an instant and it was, it was terrifying. And, um, thankfully, you know, my husband knew what to do. Um, and he took me, um, to the emergency room and then I was brought into an inpatient unit to receive, uh, treatment for that diagnosis. Thank you for sharing that. That is very raw and very real. And I'm sure hard to even years later to pull up and discuss. Yeah. So when you said that, thank God he knew what to do. What was everyone's reaction? How, How did they, how did they convince you to go to the emergency room? Well, now I will use humor because okay. my husband said he was taking me to the police station and I was satisfied with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, cause uh, yeah, I was, he, he was like, like, yeah, okay, sure. That uh, sounds like, like a good idea. <laughs> we won't take you to the hospital. Oh yeah. I'll take you into the police station. Is that what you want to do? And I'm like, yeah, that's the right thing to do. I need to do that. <laughs> so anyway, that's how, it, you know, that's how he got me. Um, but yeah, I don't there's a lot, I, looking back, Smart there's man. a lot of, of humor you have to take away from it. You can either laugh or you can cry. And I laugh at, you know, even when he came in to visit me, um, at this, in the psych ward, like my mom brought gloves cause she, it was cold. My baby was born in January. So this was in February. And I thought she was bringing me gloves to tell me like the OJ Simpson trial, like if the gloves don't fit a quit. And I was like, Oh, she's giving me some message about like, if these gloves fit or not and whether or not there's, I still thought there was this trial and there was this crime. I mean, I, there was days in the psych ward where I was still very much in an altered reality. And then my husband brought me my favorite spiced pecans from Trader Joe's. I thought he was bringing me nuts to tell me I was not. Well, at least you can laugh about it now. So I'm going to, I'm going to de- deviate a little bit. But can you talk to me a little bit about your experience? I'm totally jumping around from some of the questions I prepped because okay. this is really interesting. Um, I hope it's interesting to you. Uh, so you got there, you, you know, yeah. didn't go to the, the police station. You got to the hospital. They admitted you. What was, what were the next steps or how long were you there? And talk to me a little bit about the recovery and, and some of the tools and skills. What was that experience like? Yeah. So, um, I spent 10 days in the inpatient unit and, um, I was, I was, you know, medicated and found a cocktail of meditation, uh, medications that helped me. Um, and then thankfully I was released from there. Um, I won't share that much about that experience because honestly, I was in a catatonic state. Most of it, I was not so with it. I Mm -hmm. was just getting stabilized and it was sort of an intervention that was required to like reground me. And then I actually moved into an outpatient program um, called the mom's program at El Camino hospital here in the Bay area. And that was where 
my healing process really started. I mean, we, it was a group program with other moms. I, I met another mom who happened to also have experienced postpartum psychosis. This was again, her first and only, um, you know, instance interaction with a mental illness. So I just felt like, okay, this is like a real thing. This, even my like bizarre symptoms of, you know, imagining things are like hearing the voice of God and having, you know, hallucinations about snipers. There was things in her story where she felt the same things and couldn't, could sometimes feel like I know something weird's going on and sometimes be totally out of it. And hearing that, you know, not from a doctor, but from just another mom who's like, yeah, this was the weirdest experience of my life that came out of nowhere was a huge part in starting to get well. Um, and then the program was wonderful because I could bring my daughter with me. Um, whereas in the inpatient unit, I only was able to see my daughter a few times, um, which was devastating and, and definitely not helpful. Um, when moms are suffering from maternal mental illnesses, um, adding the pain of taking them away from their children is, is not helpful. And there's a lot we can do, mm-hmm. um, in the U S to make that better for moms. But, um, this mom's program, I was able to bring my daughter and, and I was able to get feedback from the therapists that are part of the program, you know, Oh, you know, she was fussing and you were able to read her cue or you were mirroring what she was doing. And it was this beautiful experience to regain my confidence as a mother. Um, yeah. And start to trust yourself again, I'm guessing too. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And the process of trusting myself is that was a long process. I, I was very, um, you know, that was, you know, months and months. And I think continues to evolve. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how did you, how did you learn to trust yourself? And was it something that in the mom's program, like, was it any like tools or skills that they offered you or just support? Um, what was yeah. how, how did you find that road back? Cause you eventually had a second child, which we can talk about later too, but yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, for me, it did feel very healing to go back to my work, which, you know, and to feel like that part of me was back. That was part of regaining my confidence was even though I didn't feel ready, um, or, you know, capable to tell people about their well being and how to be well when I did not feel unwell, that did, that did actually help me kind of regain my, um, foothold and sort of trust myself more, um, you know, practicing a lot of self-compassion was really critical. Um, I learned tools, um, you know, both from the program and from Brene Brown, the author about shame shame resilience. And, Mm -hmm. you know, part of my healing journey was sharing my story and saying, look, this happens to happen to me, whether or not, you know, it, this is my lived experience. And, when you own your story, as Brene Brown says, you get to write your own ending. And I was going to write my own ending. It wasn't, it didn't end there. Mm-hmm. Like mom has terrible experience. It ends with like, now what could I do with this and how can I help others? And that has given me, you know, a, a deep well of like meaning and fuel and purpose from something that was a really terrible experience because I know now 
you know, moms have found me that have had similar experiences and said that you're the first person, you know, and we sometimes talk on the phone and say, you're the first person that I've talked to that had the same thing happen. Like I really, you know, I know it's a thing out there and I've heard of it and, but also having never actually spoken to someone who experienced it, like it brings a whole new level of feeling understood and feeling seen and hope that this isn't, you know, it's temporary and treatable, which it absolutely is. But while, you know, you're in any sort of, um, disordered thinking, it feels permanent. It feels like a life sentence. Yeah. And if you can, and then they feel they have a peer instead of just a doctor. And then they see that you have gotten to the other side and, and the steps you had taken. I bet that gives people a lot of hope and they don't feel, hopefully they don't feel so, so despaired by this. Yeah. Can, Can you talk a little bit about the difference between postpartum depression and anxiety and postpartum psychosis, maybe some of the signs that, because I feel like sometimes someone could be in such despair that they don't know, they can just tell themselves, oh, this is the baby blues. Although I'm guessing because one had, like you were saying, you heard voices and mm-hmm. um, and had hallucinations. So that would probably divert more to the psychosis. But yeah, yeah. if you can kind of break that down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, with postpartum psychosis, the, you know, one of the main drivers too, in sharing my story is that usually the person that's experiencing it, the mom is not able to advocate for herself. So it's really important that the parents, the family, the partner, loved ones, friends are the ones that are going to recognize the signs of basically like the new mama's not acting like herself. Mm-hmm. She's Um, and they're going to need to be the ones to come in. And the interesting thing is almost, you know, I don't know what the percent is, but most of the onset of postpartum psychosis is within the first month. Mm. Sometimes the symptoms, even almost immediately after delivery, the mom, um, has that energy and high and can't sleep. So, um, that's why the, the people surrounding the mom, it's so important, um, So, you know, with postpartum anxiety, you know, sleep is hard to come by or there can be, you know, intrusive thoughts. I mean, there's many symptoms. I would say if you're just, you know, distressed or feeling not like yourself or, you know, even using words like I'm feeling, um, you know, underwater or I feel like I'm drowning, like those words, like you don't need to have a textbook diagnosis, like you just, you deserve to get help and you can get help and you're not alone in that experience. So I think just, that's why I really think having like supportive, whether it's, um, you know, postnatal yoga groups, um, or individual therapy, it's just so helpful to be in that container, in that community. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I don't think we need to get so caught up with like, what are the words, but just like, if you're not feeling like yourself and you want to feel better, like that's okay. And you should be met there. Mm -hmm. So for the family, just trying so like for the family to notice or support people to notice a lot of energy, not seeming like themselves, um, yeah. but anytime things seem off listening to the, the words, what, what the person's saying, watching what they're doing. So anytime the support people see that stepping in, do you think 
How could your, or how in hindsight, is there, I mean, you're lucky that you, I kind of, okay, I'm kind of having a hard time formulating this thought, but you were so obvious with saying, I think I might jump, you know, should I jump off the bridge? Like that was a very clear message of like, whoa. But if you hadn't been so clear, how could that intervention have come? Like, do you think people hide it or think they realize it? Or how do you think support, a support system Mm. may see this? Yeah. So, um, you know, a week before I made, I, I had already seen one therapist, but it was the, my first visit with a therapist that I didn't know, mm-hmm. like one week before, um, that instance with my family. So they had already sort of noticed something was up. And then the therapist did say, you know, if there's suicidal ideation or there's any intent for that, like, then, you know, we need to talk. So they had kind of, that is how they sort of, I mean, obviously they kind of got that heads up, but it was clear before that I wasn't well. What was sort of problematic is that I think everyone only had this idea of postpartum depression and that wasn't what I was experiencing. And I also was like, I'm not sad. And, and when I first saw my daughter and like looked in her eyes, like I felt so much love. It was more like, I wanted to just do everything right. I wanted to be the best mom I could be. And I wanted to anticipate her needs before she even had them. Like I, um, so there was that connection and so it was hard too, even when I went to describe my experience to the first, um, psychiatrist I saw was, I was like, I don't feel sad. Like I feel, you know, jittery. I feel nervous. I feel like I'm not capable or, you know, I'm, I can't handle this. Like I feel overwhelmed. Mm, yeah. It's hard because you're right. There's not one clear, it's not depression. Mm-hmm. It's not like you didn't want to connect with your baby. And a lot of people listening can think, of course you want to do the best for your baby. Like it's just, it's, it's hard. It's that's why I'm so glad that you're putting this out there because there's so many mixed messages. We're brought up in our society to think, of course, as, as you know, new parents, we want to do the best. But then I guess it's looking back even more and be like, well, what's the energy underneath it? And it sounded like it was a lot of, um, it was distressing. It distressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, yes. It was very distressing. Um, and, and not so helpful, obviously not helping me function. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it, you are making an interesting point that there's things that, uh, like a short, a small example in the, the early days, like the first week when I was home, my daughter would have a bath and like, I made sure that I had to heat up the bath towels in the dryer so that like when she got out of the bath, like she had a warm towel and granted you'd be like, Oh, that's cute. That's really like a thoughtful nurturing thing to do. And also like you can't do all the things all the time. Yeah, (laughs) There was like so much energy out and so much, um, trying to, uh, you know, nursing or, you know, pump nurse feed, pump nurse feed. I mean, that was another thing of not, um, I wish that my daughter's pediatrician would have told me, remember, like, you know, a happy mom and a well mom is most important for your daughter. Like what I heard was the milk machine extracting more milk. That was the most important thing. And Mm. she said, you know, every two hours, I'm going to need you to pump. And then you need to feed the milk, um, that you've pumped. So you nurse, 
pump any extra milk that she wasn't getting because my daughter had was only drinking the milk from the letdown and was sort of stopping eating after the first letdown. So mm-hmm. I had more milk. I need to express that and then feed it and then wash the pump parts and then recycle. I mean, it gave me like 15 or 20 minutes in between feeding cycles. And again, like trying to do that and never like feeling like a failure if I missed that two hour mark or I couldn't keep up with this really um, insane feeding schedule, which I know sometimes, you know, it's well-intentioned, but for me, like I needed someone to say, look, like if this is too much for you, like you can supplement a little bit with formula. Like, because what that ended up doing was then I completely stopped breastfeeding. Of course, like once I was uh, separated from my daughter and then obviously on all these medications as well, I chose to stop nursing. So, you know, it was, Whereas with my second daughter, from the get-go, I gave her a little bit of formula because I knew right from the get-go, if she loses weight, which almost all breastfeeding babies do, that would stress me out. And it would remind me of before and feeling like I wasn't able to keep up. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to just, you know, without authorization or approval from, you know, the pediatricians who told me like, you don't need to do that. And I was like, well, this is what I feel comfortable doing. And that's the gift of a second time mom. You're like, this is what works for me and I'm going to do it. And also listening to your story of somebody who's so high achieving and my guess is also very organized. If you're told, and I I, I relate to this, I'm a little type A, a little, I'm very type A myself, that if someone had told me every two hours, I would have been like, you got it every two hours, I'll feed. And I would have made it like my mission, (laughs) you know? So, and and and, and I'm hearing you say, and I agree, and I, I can relate is without that permission, which one, I think one may need to find it themselves, but you're as a new parent, it's so overwhelming and you want to do the best for your child. Yeah. You just stick to it. And it could really, I'm sure that did not add to your, to your wellness. Um, no. during your, your visits with your pediatrician, did you, did you ever talk to them or did they ever do any sort of screening? Cause I know that that's something I talked to my pediatrician about is they, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I totally see she was doing this. She was asking me questions. She was watching yeah. me feed. Did you know, was your pediatrician doing that? And did you later have a conversation to ask, like, were you doing that? And can you do that for my second? Was there any sort of screening there? Uh, there wasn't. And, and there's been a new care team. So. <laughs> we also moved, but oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, but what was interesting, I'd say, um, is I was in the hospital when I should have had my six week OB appointment. Mm-hmm. So that's why, again, like I feel like the awareness around postpartum sickness, it's one in two out of every thousand deliveries is very, very small percentage. But since it's so severe, um, and unfortunately it's like 5% of moms with postpartum psychosis w- will take their own lives. Ugh. I mean, it's, it is a danger, a very real danger. Um, because they're not in that right state, but I'm like the OB check. It's, it's too late. It's like, too that, late. Yeah. But that's why late. some pediatricians screen. That's what I'm saying. Cause you mm-hmm. see the pediatrician yes. a lot in those first, you know, mm-hmm. first month. So, um, back and forth a ton. So that's why, yeah, my, I didn't even realize, but she was totally screening. She was asking me questions. How's your sleep? Why don't you stay here? Let me watch you feed. 
And I thought, I'm like, oh, she's just being nice. And then I interviewed for the podcast. She's like, oh, no, that's my way of screening to see how you're doing without making you feel like you're being scrutinized. I'm like, oh, that's so smart. Um, I hope all people- We need more people like that taking an extra beat. Um, Absolutely. The pediatricians can be that first line of defense. And that's beautiful to hear. Yeah, because you're not seeing, I mean, even though there's been recommendations that um, new moms should actually see their OB or midwife two weeks after, you know, insurance isn't covering that. So most people don't see their care provider for six weeks. And as we know, a lot can happen in that time. So let's, let's fast forward a little to all, you know, you, you did it again. You had a second. So how did you, how did you overcome the fear um, that your postpartum psychosis might return and gear up for your second? I'm guessing maybe you had like, perhaps like a mental health plan or how is it different? How'd you get there? Yeah. Um, you know, I, a lot of talk therapy has been really, you know, supportive. Um, so I continued on that journey. Um, the plan, you know, we had in place, it was basically like doing everything differently. Uh, you know, my husband thankfully had three months off from work instead of two weeks because the company he is at, um, changed their policy, which was amazing. Um, so that was a big difference. You know, we hired, a night uh, nurse every night for four months, um, so that I could rest and, um, you know, wake up and pump or wake up and feed. But, um, you know, most important was that I rested. I, you know, let go of a lot of things. I, I really told my family and my, you know, therapist and psychiatrist, like, I really would prefer, you know, not to take medication if I don't have to, um, cause I would love to nurse, but the biggest thing I want to avoid is being hospitalized. That was the worst experience of my life. And that was like, I I'll basically, I'll give up whatever I'll give up nursing. I'll take medications. Um, you can force me to do that. Like, just don't let me get to the point where I need to go to an inpatient unit again. Cause for, so, you know, I, I was clear about my outcome that I wanted. And, um, I had the support in place and thankfully it was, you know, a very, a very different experience. I think in my instance, like not being able to sleep and then not sleeping was really, um, the huge breaking point. Um, I did have some, you know, anxiety about like, I I need to sleep. And if I don't sleep, then this is going to happen again. So, I did use like an over-the-counter sleeping aid a few times, just like Unisom, so that I could sleep when we had our night nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, the sleeping was restorative and helpful. And I found, yeah, there wasn't also as much like fear and worry, just sort of knowing how to be a mother and how to take care of a child. It wasn't as an overwhelming experience. Um, also had two miscarriages in between the two girls. So I felt like I had a lot of, I had some trial runs of like (laughs) practicing like pregnant, not pregnant, like huge hormonal cascade, like huge emotional event. And so I felt like I had some like stress testing before. Um, and I was just so grateful to like have, um, you know, a healthy pregnancy 
kind of added a different layer to that experience. Were you hyper aware of looking for the signs or you just kind of trusted that you also had a support team to watch and, and view? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was aware that, you know, the first sign is most likely it's like kind of confusion and fogginess and Mm -hmm. disorientation or having trouble sleeping, even when you could be sleeping. So I was watching out for that. Um, Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I, cause I, I'm thinking about just for like births and stuff. Cause I was a doula and then I had my, my own two and my first birth was challenging. So I, I carried the fear of, am I going to have another really challenging first birth and as my, a second birth. And as mm-hmm. I started it, I was almost looking for signs that it was going to yeah. be hard again. So I'm trying to think about that mindset of hypervigilant, like, oh my gosh, did I'm not sleeping. Am I tired? What's it like, you know, like getting in your own head, but that could just be, that could just be my head. No, no, no. I mean that, yeah, there was, I think, you know, there was absolutely fear and anxiety present and, you know, I managed it the best I could. I mean, I had, it's funny with the second, um, I ended up getting induced, um, but I went in and actually went to the hospital two times, like thinking I was in labor when I wasn't in labor yet. <laughs> so like, I like, had on. the first mom experience. Cause I was just like, it's going to happen. And like, and I'm like ready to go. And so, you know, but I had to laugh and be like, you know what? I'm okay with being the second time mom who's coming twice telling you <laughs> <laughs> that I'm having this baby right now, but I wasn't. So I thought my you know, water broke and it hadn't. <laughs> I, I had that one too. It just peed a little bit and was like, Sorry, could go home now. So what? Just peed pro- my pants. Yeah. My water broke. Exactly. Mm. I actually trekked myself okay. all the way out to Brooklyn. It was like an hour <laughs> just for the midwife to be like, "Nope, you're good. See you later." Totally. <laughs> in in February, that happens. Even you know, it happens to all of us. And you know, there was just like letting go of of that experience and um, now laughing about it. <laughs> totally, and um, you know, even so with for me, I just approached to the actual birth very differently. Whereas, you know, with, um, my first daughter, Lucy, my goal was like, um, you know, wanting to be unmedicated and have a a natural birth, um, whatever that meant at that time. And then actually for me, the outcome I wanted with my second daughter, Vivian was just to, um, conserve as much energy as possible so that I would have more energy available and wouldn't be so depleted when I started the marathon that is having a newborn. So I, I mean, basically went in, got in, induced and within an hour was like, I'd like the epidural. They're like, okay, you're only, you know, one centimeter. I was like, that's fine. I'm like, uh, I'm ready to just like rest as much as I can and have this be, uh, you know, the easiest experience on my body so that when I come home, I have, I have more energy. So it's just a totally different approach. Yeah. And it's also looking at your priorities and, you know, learning from your past. I think that's great. So what, how did you find the bravery to open up and share? I mean, these are really intimate details about your life and your experience and very raw and vulnerable. How did, what prompted you? How did you find that courage? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm sort of like a rip off the bandaid type of person. So I just, um, I put myself out there because I, 
it started where I was doing um, a walk um, called the Climb Out of Darkness, um, which is put on by Postpartum Support International, and people can you can kind of lead small groups and raise money um, for maternal mental health disorders and Postpartum Support International. And so then I was like, well, I'm doing this, and now I need to tell people like why I want to you know, on Facebook, like, why do I want to raise money on this topic? And why is it important? So then I wrote a little bit about my story. And then I wrote, um, you know, a medium post kind of sharing more of my story. I definitely felt like I was going to throw up before I posted it. (laughs) I was just like, wow, like, everyone's like, yay, this is my best version of my life on Facebook. I'm on (laughs) vacation. Like, look at my cool toes they're painted. And I'm like, hey, I was in a psych ward. How are you? <laughs> but I, I think it's amazing that you did that so that others can, you know, especially on social media. And that's yeah. my that's my own issue. Yeah. Like, oh, social media, it's like happy shiny. That you ripped off the happy shiny because so yeah. many new parents are probably like, thank you for, for doing that. I mean, granted, you know, like you mentioned, the postpartum psychosis is not a huge amount of people. But for those that are there or even anyone in the PMAD um, umbrella, just to see that, you know, sometimes things are really hard and just don't go as planned. Yes, exactly. So then, you know, really when I shared it from there, um, I, you know, didn't feel brave or courageous. I felt terrified in that moment, but, um, you know, I received a lot of, you know, messages of support and like, it, it was really beautiful to see, um, yeah, people kind of, it opened up a new connection to people that I didn't know was there. And that was beautiful. And then someone saw my Medium article a few months after that and said, we have a cancellation for a TEDx speaker. If you can get ready in 10 days, (laughs) you you can be on stage. And I was like, okay. Let me work on that. So that was the first time I, you know, when I gave my TEDx talk, that was the first time I ever spoke about it. Wow. It's right there. So it's, it's very raw and, um, sort of unfiltered. I'll make sure we have a link to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm writing that down in my notes as we go along. Okay. Thank you. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to give one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. So, wow, you've shared so much and some great resources. What is one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? So the the biggest tip I would say is, you know, connect with a support system, whether it's a mom's group or it's a doula or it's a therapist. Find a support person if you can while you're pregnant and reach out to them and establish that relationship so that, um, if you need support, you already have someone that knows you. I think that that can make a really big difference. Um, and like I said earlier, even if you aren't experiencing a maternal mental health condition or disorder, it's still a really big life transition. And I wish that all of the things I learned in the the moms program that every new mom should have that every new mom should get encouragement and support about bonding with their baby and reading their baby's cues and practicing self-compassion and self-care and boundary setting. I mean, these are things that, um, 
maybe you were good at them before having your first child or second child. And then there comes a point where you need to relearn these things because we aren't always our best selves when we're exhausted and depleted. And so it's helpful to have other people supporting us. Like you don't have to do it. The biggest advice, you don't have to do it all on your own. And we aren't supposed to do it all all on our own. Yes. I say yes to everything you just said, because a lot of us don't have a ton of family around. And especially where I am in New York City, where, you know, a lot of people show up here without a lot of support, you know, for whatever reason. And that feeling of like, we have to do it on our own. Who else is going to help us? We have to look like we really got this, you know, to giving Mm. yourself the permission to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I need some help. Oh, that's a great tip or piece of advice. So where can people find your work? Are you back um, doing the mindfulness work? Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, at lisaabramson.com. And I have a book called The Wise Mama Guide to Maternity Leave, which is uh, for those type A overachieving women, how to kind of transition from that achievement gold stars mentality um, into a, a new pace for your maternity leave so that you can really enjoy that and um, get the support you need and some kind of tools for self-compassion. So that book's on Amazon and my website is lisaabramson.com. I'll have links to all of that. That book sounds fantastic. I wish that I had had that when I had my kids. I definitely needed someone to say, slow down, (laughs) slow down. You don't need to do it all. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Enjoy your day. Be well. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.